Gracious Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to be here with your people and be able to sing the praises and honor you with our worship and our adoration. What a wonderful thing it is to be here with our brothers and sisters in Christ as we share what you're doing in our lives, as we help one another and encourage one another to fix our eyes on Jesus. So as we come to this word today, strike us in the heart, strike us in our minds with its truth, and with the direction you would have us go with our lives. For it is in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to John chapter 10. If you don't have your Bible, there's an app for that. Please feel free to download the Bible anytime you want. You young people, Mrs. Parker knows the difference between texting and reading your Bible in the service. So don't try to get away with it, okay? But there's an app for that. Don't hesitate to use it. Today we come to the book of John. We're studying the book of John in our junior high Sunday school class. And again, it is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Hard-hitting, fast on the facts, powerful where Jesus Christ explains who he is as clearly as could possibly be explained. We see people's reactions one way or the other. And there were only two basic reactions, to accept or reject him and his claims. It's exciting to see how he gets a hold of people's lives with his truth and how that truth can change a person and make them kingdom focused rather than puttering along wound up in themselves looking to their own little world. We come in John chapter 10 to a place where he begins talking about who he is and there are several I am statements that he makes in the book of John. Just before the passage we're going to look at, starting in verse 11, Jesus has explained to his disciples and to those who were standing there listening that he is the gate. And no one enters the kingdom of God or the sheepfold, as he puts it, without passing through him. He's the only way. I'm sure there are many people who like to hold on to that idea that there are many ways to God. There's one. And Jesus made that very clear. It is through him and him alone. Then he comes to the passage that I dearly love and that we're going to be examining carefully today. Beginning at verse 11. Where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now we have to stop there for a moment and examine just what this means. Is there anybody out there who raises sheep? Except my friend Clark in the back there. Raises sheep. Now, for those of us who are from Alaska, we're not talking about, you know, sheep 
up on the mountain, you know, tough, really bright. We're talking about sheep. And Jesus, it's kind of like an offhanded insult here almost when he refers to us as sheep because sheep are stupid. Sheep are very stupid. In the list of barnyard IQs, sheep are at the bottom. I said they're lower than chickens. Somebody corrected me, they're lower than turkeys. Sheep are stupid, okay? Now, I'm sure it wasn't his intent to call us stupid, but we need to understand that sheep have one driving need in this universe. And that's for a shepherd. Because sheep are so stupid, they won't find water, they won't find grass to eat without a shepherd. These are the domesticated variety of sheep. Thus, when we read Psalm 23 earlier, he mentions about them the shepherd making them to lie down in green pastures, the shepherd leading them beside the still waters. And as you go further in that passage, it's really fun. He starts talking about the rod and the staff. Well, the rod is to get the sheep out of difficulty because they're forever so dumb they're doing something crazy like falling off a cliff or getting stuck in the bushes or something else. So you use that hook that staff to pull them out. And the rod, sometimes they need a little bit of this, right? They need a little positive direction. Sheep are stupid. But we have a good shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. We have a good shepherd. Jesus goes on to explain that the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, we'll look at this a little bit more, but we need to understand the context. Jesus Christ is preparing his disciples and those listening for the fact that he is about to die on a cross. And his death on that cross was not for him. It was for his sheep. That's why he's laying down his life for his sheep. Because his sheep, did I mention sheep are pretty stupid? His sheep have rejected the way, rejected the truth, and every single one of them has trundled off into dangerous territory because of their sin, because of their rejection of God, rejection of his truth, Rejection of who he is. So the shepherd had to lay down his life for a sheep. Because of that sin, that arrogant rebellion against God that every single one of us sheep experienced being human beings, because of that, there was a penalty to be paid. So Jesus Christ is preparing his disciples for the fact that he will hang on that cross and die in their stead and pay the penalty for their sin. So no longer do they themselves pay the penalty of eternal damnation. 
pay the penalty of eternal separation from all that is good, pay the penalty which they so richly deserve, each one of us so richly deserve, for our sins, separation from God. It's interesting, too, that when we realize that when Jesus hung on that cross and drew us to himself, the day that we came to Christ, we were freed from the power of sin. Did you know that before coming to Christ, people do not have the ability not to sin? It is that day when we come to Jesus Christ that all of a sudden there's a huge change that takes place in us eternally, internally. That change makes it possible for us to walk with him. No longer does sin have the power over us, but instead we, for the first time in our lives, don't have to sin. That's kind of exciting. So he frees us from the penalty of sin. He frees us from the power of sin. This shepherd who lays down his life willingly. But how about the presence of sin? Yeah. If you haven't sinned today, would you please raise your hand? I don't see many hands. Oh, mine's not up either. If you haven't sinned today, raise your hand. So apparently, we are not yet freed from the presence of sin, which is a process and ultimately is concluded when we are in the presence of Jesus Christ. When we close our eyes in death, or when he returns and snatches us out of this world and takes us to be with himself, one or the other, then we will be completely free of the presence of sin. And that redemption will be complete. That's exciting. But until then, we're going to need this good shepherd. We're going to need his Holy Spirit. We're going to need this word that the Holy Spirit brings to life in our lives to follow and to bring us along in that process as he frees us from the presence of sin. He goes on. He contrasts then, in this next section, the good shepherd, the bad shepherd. You know, if you're like me, uh, you know, somebody says, uh, this is the way it is, well, I want to know how they do it over there. Well, here's the good shepherd and the bad shepherd, so we'll get an idea. The hired hand is the bad shepherd. He's not specifically targeting any individual. He's just in generalities here. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. When the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it, the man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. You see, Jesus cared everything for his sheep. Everything. He loves us so much, he was willing to die, to lay down his life for the sheep. That's pretty good. Not the hired hand. So in the next verse where he said, I am the good shepherd, 
It just reminds me of that passage again. 1 Samuel 17, turn there. If you have the app, 1 Samuel 17. We'll begin at verse 33. You remember when David came to Saul's camp and that Philistine bully was standing up there every day shaking his fist at the armies of God, the armies of Israel, saying, you bunch of chicken lily livers, come on out and fight. I'm ready to take you on. Sound a little bit like a hockey game? <laughs> I don't like hockey. Sound a bit, little bit like uh, NFL? <laughs> I don't like NFL. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Mrs. Parker does, though. It's okay. All right? She likes all that stuff. Here he is. Armies of God, come on out. You're embarrassing yourselves. Come on out and let's do a little battle here and we'll whoop you. Well, the lily-livered armies of the Lord, so to speak, were sitting there trembling in their sandals. And along comes this little shepherd boy who understands something about shepherding. And he wanders in and he wants to take on the giant, the big guy. Verse 32. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy. And he has been a fighting man from his youth. He's really a good football player. But David said to Saul, and mark these words, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Oh, a shepherd boy. Must be a good shepherd. It's his father's sheep. We share these sheep in common. Let's see how a good shepherd acts. Then keeping his father's sheep, when a lion or a bear came out, came, carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. I don't know about the lion, but the bear, you just tase them. And they'll leave you alone. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. There it is. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. Here's a boy who knew how to take care of his sheep. Here's a boy who knew what it meant to stand in the way and to be prepared to lay down his sheep. The difference between him and Jesus is Jesus did lay down his life for his sheep. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And indeed he did. Got a rock in the head, got his head cut off. Philistines all ran away. A good shepherd. Verse 14 of John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. He kind of sets it up here. Friends, there are only two worlds and we'll see it again in this passage. There's a world of people 
who are focused upon Jesus Christ who will spend an eternity with him. There's another world of people who reject his truth and will never spend an eternity with him. Only sadness and torment. Great joy, great suffering. Every human being falls into one of those two worlds. Where are you today? Where am I today? My sheep know me. And then he says something amazingly interesting. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus somehow loves us as he loves the Father. Jesus somehow, in our imperfection and sin and rebellion, loved us so much that he was willing to come and become that shepherd and lay down his life for us. And he relates that to the relationship between himself and the Father. That to me is amazing. Absolutely amazing. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. I have to stop on that word listen here. Listen. Remember in the King James, it says, My sheep hear my voice. I like the New International Translation much better. Listen. Uh, Mrs. Parker will tell you the difference between actually learning something in geometry class and not learning something is the difference between hearing and listening. Right? Mrs. Parker? Yes. Listen. Now, don't get me wrong. King James was a wonderful translation in 1611. We speak a little differently now. Listen is the word. Listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. What is Jesus talking about? One flock. Here it is. He's speaking to the Jewish people. Their job as the Jewish people was to share the Old Testament gospel and the fact that Messiah was coming with the world. There's a new time coming after he dies on the cross, and the apostles, by his sovereign will, are scattered across the world. His disciples are scattered throughout the world. All of a sudden, the church takes over that job of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world so that people from every tribe and nation may be amalgamated into one body and be part of those who love Jesus Christ and follow him and are part of this family that he draws into eternal glory with himself. One flock, one shepherd. So here's just a little bit of a picture of what he's going to be doing. This was somewhat alien to the thinking of the Jewish people because they thought they were the ones. They were the special ones. And their theology had really gone downhill when they forgot that they were supposed to share that with the world. Kind of a lesson in there for the church, isn't there? Hmm. Okay, going on. 
The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. What's Jesus talking about here? One of the joys I have, having come from a bit of a scientific background, is reading stuff in science. One of my favorite writers is a man by the name of Dr. Hugh Ross, who is a Christian man who writes, uh, he's a PhD in uh, astrophysics. Barely even say that word, it's frightening. One of his books, he was explaining how with the new telescopes and the new advancements in science, scientists have determined that the universe is somewhat limited yet expanding, and we know that from one side of the universe to the other side of the universe, as it expands, it's about 13.7 billion light years across. That's a big number. 13.7 billion light years across. If we were to go to the absolute end of this expanding universe and at the very edge find a little particle of matter, a molecule, an atom, a neutron, shaken loose, a quark, a neutrino, perhaps dark matter, something like that, you know? Jesus Christ would be in control of that little piece of matter. Not only would Jesus Christ be in control, he is the one who supports that little bit of matter. In fact, he created the laws that make that little piece of matter act and react as it does. This good shepherd of ours is pretty powerful. He has that little critter in control. In fact, the 200 million, or billion, I'm sorry, galaxies that are floating around in this big ball. He has every single one of them in control. He has every star, about 200 million per galaxy average, you know, give or take. Boy, these are big numbers. Every single one of those he has under his control and his sustaining power. Prove it, Dave. Okay. Take your Bibles, and by the way, there is an app for that. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We'll read from verse 15. He, speaking of Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. So he is the image of God. He is the God, part of God that we can see, or the second person of the Trinity. The firstborn, or preeminent over all creation, for by him... All things were created, whoa, 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 our good shepherd, by him all things were created. Our vision of God perhaps is not big enough. If we went to the end of the galaxy and found that little particle, he would be in control of it, but maybe he made some other ones. Maybe he made other universes. Is that plural? Universe says, I guess we only got one, so we only talk about, you know. 
What is he about? He is enormously powerful. We cannot even comprehend. And it goes on. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Oh, so dark matter. Yep. Mm -hmm. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things were created by him and for him. That's our shepherd. Our good shepherd. He is before all things. You mean time as well as the physics of the universe? Time is also one of his creations? Yep. God is not bound by time. He moves around as he will. Before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the binding force of the universe. He is the force that makes it work. This is our good shepherd. Not enough of evidence for you? Well, let's flip over then to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word sustaining all things by his powerful word. So, it is Jesus Christ who is in control of the whole thing. The second person of the Trinity, God, very God, he is our shepherd. He wants to take care of us dumb little sheep. Isn't that nice? Exciting. He goes on. The reason the Father... I'm sorry. I lost my place here. It moved. Okay. When Jesus talks about being the good shepherd, it's extremely important for us to understand that he is speaking specifically to you and me as individuals. It is a personal relationship that you and I can have with this most powerful being that exists. Other people may also have that relationship with him, but you and I personally and individually can become his sheep. Verse 19, it's interesting to see the bifurcation, the two worlds mentioned again that we mentioned before. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? It causes my heart trouble to believe that people could even say this about our good shepherd, the creator of the universe. But there it is. That's the world that rejects. But others said... 
they're not the saving sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? They're the people who are going towards Jesus rather than away from Jesus. The two worlds, the two worlds. Then the passage goes on, and there's a bit of a break, a historical break. Then came the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. You know, one of the problems that the people suffered from at that point was they had a misunderstanding of Messiah. It was like you could fill in the blank, fill in the blank Messiah. If you walked down the street and talked to the various Jewish people, you'd say, here's a sentence. When Messiah comes, he will blank. Fill in the blank. Everybody had their expectation for when Messiah would come. Some thought, oh, he'll overthrow the Romans and we'll be free again. That's what the Feast of Dedication was all about, the rededication of the temple in the intertestamental period. Oh, when Messiah comes, uh, things are going to be better because we'll have a government that is righteously based. Oh, when Messiah comes, he's going to throw these bums out of the temple who are running the religious show and maybe make things better. But they all apparently missed the point. When Messiah comes... He was going to do something different. He was going to lay down his life. He was going to die. That was his purpose in coming, to redeem mankind and to buy us back from the sin that we were suffering in. And isn't it interesting that they missed that? They missed what Jesus had told them over and over again. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. I guess it goes to point out just how deep the depravity of those people who are continually rejecting Jesus Christ is. Uh, These people saw miracles. You know, they heard about the miracles. They saw the miracles. Just shortly before this, Jesus takes a man who was blind from birth, instantly heals him. He stopped a storm on the sea. Shortly he will be raising Lazarus from the dead. Uh, Now wait a minute. This creator, sustainer of the whole universe, think he has that kind of power? Oh yeah, it's nothing. Nothing to him. Nothing. Does he have the power to give you and me, give us eternal life? Absolutely. He's got that power. But they missed it. These folks missed it. They did not believe. It never ceases to amaze me how once we come to faith in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, our vision begins clarifying. Before that, we can't understand what this world's all about, where it's going. You know, we can't understand these things that have happened to us. But when we come to Jesus Christ, then it starts making sense. And we see his hand guiding and directing us as his Sheep, his children, his family, caring for us. So when we look back from that point, I know why it was that 
Jesus wrecked my motorcycle in 1969. It wasn't a fun thing to go through, but I was running the other way. Somebody had to bring me up short, looking back. All of a sudden, things start falling into place, and we recognize that the sovereign hand of God that directs and cares for and sustains this universe, he can take care of us. And he will take care of us because he's promised to take care of us. Then building up to the culmination of this passage, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I grew up in the area of the Sierras where there's still a few of the old stone enclosures that they used. I don't know if cattle or sheep or something. They put something in there, stone enclosures. Very much like you would find in Israel in Jesus' day. These stone enclosures out in the hills and the valleys and the dales were where the shepherds would bring their little sheep at night and put them all in the same place, in the same little enclosure. Often a shepherd would sleep at the gate so that, you know, the sheep wouldn't escape. They've got them all in there, so a half a dozen or so little shepherds have their sheep in there, and comes morning. Oh, can you imagine the nightmare of trying to get your sheep and my sheep separated? Wasn't a problem at all. The shepherd would simply go to the opening and call out his sheep. And a sheep listened to him. And a sheep would come to that door, and off they would go to find the green pastures and the still waters. And then the next shepherd, he'd come up, and he'd do the same thing. The next shepherd, he'd come up and do the same thing. Uh, one thing sheep can do is listen. Another thing that sheep can do is follow. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I have to tell you about sheepy. Our son Ben lives out in the valley, and somehow he gets hooked up with all the sheep whose uh, mamas reject him from a friend of his who raises sheep. Apparently this happens quite often. One day, his wife and kids were visiting family out of state, and so Ben was going to go fishing with us, and he and his mother conspired against me because we had somebody to stay, probably Jeremy, right, Jeremy? Jeremy to stay with the sheep and with the dogs and with all the critters they had out there. He lives on a ranch. Except Jeremy didn't want to feed sheepy, which was a real little one, and they needed to plug a bottle into its face to feed it because it was just a little tiny sheep. So we're at Prince William Sound, and my wife tells me, I didn't want to tell you before, but uh, Jeremy didn't want to take care of sheepy, and so Ben's bringing sheepy. Fishing. Little black sheep were going camping and fishing. You know, just a little black sheep. I look up, and here comes Ben walking down the pier, you know, and there's this little black sheep following him. Followed that boy wherever he went. In fact, some of the tourists were a little barnyard challenged. They wanted to know what kind of a dog that was. Just following along, you know? 
And when Ben went anywhere, the sheep would follow. When Ben talked to the sheep, the sheep was there, you know. He would never get very far away. This little black sheep on my boat. <sighs> it was an interesting weekend. We'll leave it at that. But ultimately, I learned something about sheep. Ben and I were on shore and we left the sheep. We were going to go just get some pancake batter or something off of the boat, you know, or go have breakfast or something. So we were in the little rubber boat rowing out there and all of a sudden we look back. Where do you think Sheepy is? Sheepy, still on the bottle. Sheepy jumps into the water. Prince William Sound and is swimming out towards us. We had to do a sheep rescue. Out of... Can I tell you what wet sheep smells like? I learned something about sheep. Sheep listen and sheep follow. That's what Jesus expects of you and me. He wants us to listen. He wants us to follow. And he goes on in verse 28. He says, I give them eternal life. That is the promise from the God of the universe and beyond That is the promise of a sovereign God to his sovereign act. He gives his sheep eternal life. Getting kind of exciting. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. What does heaven look like? I don't know. A good place? Oh yeah. It's our shepherds there. Our shepherd is building a place for us. And as beautiful as the first place he made for us is, it's going to be even more beautiful because there's no pain, no suffering, nothing. Nothing to detract us. Distract us from our worship of him and that special relationship we have with the sovereign of the universe. Did I mention that? That to me is exciting. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And then comes one of the most glorious truths of the scripture. Theologians have batted their gums about this. They have talked about this forever. And some of them have kind of missed the point. But what does he say? I give them eternal life, they shall never perish. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. I want you to think of it as this, this way. Whenever you think of that special relationship with Jesus Christ, the hand that created the universe, the hand that sustains the universe, when we have come to Jesus Christ, we are tightly grasped in that hand. And as Jesus said, no one can snatch them out of my hand. There. That's where we are. Then he goes on. And he says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. So they're in the hand of Jesus 
is the hand of the Father wrapped firmly around it, and we cannot escape. We cannot be torn away. I met a fellow one time. He told me, yeah, nobody can snatch us out of there, but we can jump. Hello? You can jump out of the hand of God? When he has you tightly grasped, the hand that created and sustains the universe, you're telling me you have the strength and the power and the ability to jump out of that hand? You know, it's always attached to a story. Ah, my Aunt Matilda, she was a wonderful Christian woman, blah, blah, blah. She became a hopeless drunk, blah, blah, blah. She died, you know, okay. Enough with the stories, friend. What does the Bible say? You're there. His hand is here. The hand of the Father is there. That excites me. We can't escape. Neither would we want to. Does that mean we don't sin? No, 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 no. If you ever look at Christians instead of Jesus Christ, you're going to be disappointed because we all sin. Look at Jesus. Got you there. And then one final great and glorious truth. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Not two hands, one hand. The hand of God the Father and God the Son. God the Holy Spirit, all. Three in one, holding us close. Any escape? No. So the Good Shepherd, creator of the universe, holds his people in his hand. What do we draw away from this? I shared with the folks in the first service. You have to be a little careful doing my other job because in doing that job, often you share things with the press and they kind of get mixed up. So we only do two, two items for them to focus on, okay? We only give them two concepts at one time and sometimes less than that because they can't hold on to too many, you know? <coughs> Looking for the story. Here are the two concepts we need to go away from this passage with. Sheep listen and they follow. They need to be shepherd-focused. Are you shepherd-focused? Am I shepherd-focused today? I hope so. He's given us his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit. We need to move on in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Second, when God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, by his sovereign act, saves us, and draws us into his family and becomes our shepherd and we accept him by faith and we're grasped in his hand. Nothing can move us from that place. All those problems, the problems I see every day, a mere bump in the road. Oh, but you don't understand. I have so many problems. You should see the light on you. No, 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 no. He's got you there. He's got you there. And he won't let go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a, what a joyous and glorious passage this is. We thank you that you have so revealed yourself 
to us. That we can take great confidence in who you are and what you're doing in our lives. Great confidence in your promises and your abilities to make good on those promises. Help us to be sheep that listen and follow. Help us to revel in the security that is ours in Jesus Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. We're dismissed.